0: Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Good morning, everybody. My name is Evan. I'll be reading uh, the passage today. This is Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, say it with me. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise So, Lord, as we come into um, your presence this morning, we Lord, we pray for fresh experience of you, a fresh movement of your spirit, Lord. God, we pray that you would fill this place, that even though it's a school, it's a regular room, that um, there's nothing regular about what we're doing here this morning, that as your people gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, that you, Lord, you're, you're present here with us. You are actually truly present with us and you are ministering, ministering to us you are you are meeting us you are revealing yourself to us you're speaking to us Um, lord you are the one who brings healing and restoration into this world that is what your kingdom is about and we want to be on the receiving end of that lord we want to receive the the healing work of the spirit we want to receive the restoration of the kingdom the new life that you have come come into this world to bring. Lord, would you, in your mercy, and your greatness, and your power, would you show up? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you meet us in our need, meet us in our sin, meet us in our brokenness, and teach us, Lord. Teach us all that you have to give to us so that we can look to you and and have expectant faith, um, that we can step out in faith and trust in new ways, um, that, that you don't leave us where we are, but you you radically transform us because you want to do something great in us and you want to do something great through us. Lord, we believe that. And so we put our faith and trust in you this morning. Be with me as I speak. Uh, May my words be your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're currently in a a little bit of a series, a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. And the name of the series is Everyday Missionaries. And the whole idea behind a series called Everyday Missionaries is that we have a pretty firm conviction from reading the New Testament and from what the Bible seems to teach that um, missions is not something for a select few number of people. Um, We tend to think that there are certain people who are called to missions, and so we gather around and we we launch them off into into foreign countries to be on missions, and that's a great thing. Um, About 39 years ago, my my grandparents and some church members gathered with my family at Newark Airport, and I was two weeks old, and there were lots of tears that were shed because um, the church, which was a, a an old church in New Jersey, had sent my parents to be missionaries in Japan. And so back in those days, it's not like today where people fly back and forth pretty much all the time. Um, back then, it was like, we are sending you to Japan, and we probably will not see you for who knows how long. So there was lots of weeping. Apparently, my mom was a huge mess, and there's pictures of us at the airport. We're sitting down, waiting to be called onto the, you know, on the airplane. Back in those days, there was no security checks, too. You, you folks remember that? You could just go to the gate with the people who are leaving different times, man. So, <laughs> So um, so we departed, and they were on, on missions, and great. And so my family, actually, my great-grandfather was a missionary and a church planter, my father was a missionary and a church planter, and I'm a missionary and a church planter. That's great, but the thing is that we're all called to be mission missionaries wherever God places us. This is not, a, a, this is not an extracurricular activity for some select Christians. This is everybody. And the reason we know that is because when Jesus called his first disciples, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Those of you that know the scripture passage, I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus is the grand fisherman. And as he invites people to follow him, he is raising them up in the people business. You've heard me say this before. The people business is the the catching people business. Now, I like to go uh, fly fishing in northern Michigan sometimes, and so sometimes, uh, not recently, but back in the day. And so I'll be fly fishing, and I'm thinking, oh, the Lord has made me a fisher of men. And I'm thinking about my one little, my, my one little pathetic little fly that's going to go and, and be on the river. But that was not, they didn't do fly fishing in Galilee in the first century. They have nets, man. They, they have big old nets. They're catching hundreds of fish. So when Jesus said, i want to make you fishers of men, he's, he's not talking about this, okay? He's talking about like gathering in large groups of people. And that's the family trade. That's the business we're called into is the fishing business, the the people business. Um, The Great Commission, go therefore into all the world, right? Teaching people to believe, to obey everything I've taught you, make disciples. This is all the disciples are called to into this work of, of making disciples, other disciples, catching fish, being about the Father's business. John chapter 20 verse 21. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus was a missionary from heaven. He invites us to follow him because he's gonna train us up and then he's gonna send us out to also be on missions. So that's really the whole point of this series and what we hope to to unpack as we go through it together is this idea that even even Mary, Mary is the, the, the most saintly and godly person in this room. She's, you all know Mary, right? I mean, she has been serving the Lord, walking with the Lord. Mary, how old are you again? She's 26 years old. Even, even this godly woman is called to be a missionary. Mary, the sermon is for, is for you. Uh, we are all wherever God has placed us. And so the question then is that we, you need to think about this. Who are you on missions for? Who, who has God sent you to? If we're sent, if the church is sent and we all are sent, then who are you sent to? Who has God placed in your life that he wants to use you To preach the gospel and to connect that person to the renewing and restoring, redemptive power of God. Because there is someone, or probably more than someone, probably some people. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's a community. Maybe it's your family. You know, if we are on mission, you think that evangelism is, is intimidating. It's this difficult thing because you don't want to be that guy. But honestly, if if we're open to it, I am convinced that God provides missional opportunities constantly. And we just have to be paying attention for when they come up. I think we feel pressure because we think we have to convert people. You don't have to convert people. That's not what... God, God changes hearts. We just have to be open to planting a seed. And if you're open... These opportunities come all the way. They, they come all the time. Just yesterday, I went out for some fresh air, and as I'm having fresh air on the, the sidewalk, another guy comes and wants to bum some fresh air for me, so I, I bummed him a fresh air. And it uh, and, and turned out he was, for those of you, well, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. Uh, but uh, he had, had a fight with his, hopefully he's not here today, he had a fight with his sister, and uh, who he was living with in a studio. I'm like, yeah, I can see why you'd get into a fight living with your sister in a studio. So he kind of opens up to me and, of course, wants to know, what do I do? People always ask me what I do. And so I told him, I'm a pastor. You know, don't be put off by that, but I am, I am a minister. And, uh, and so he, you know, we started talking about things. He wanted to know where the church was and so, I'm just sharing this as examples because if we're open, God presents the opportunities. And if you're, as you're talking to somebody, if you have that concept of, I'm not trying to convert this person, I'm trying to bless this person, maybe. If we change, you just change your thinking a little bit. Maybe God wants to use you to be a blessing to somebody. You don't want anything from them. You're not trying to get anything from people. It's not, it's not what it's about. And I had to learn that because so often my, my game plan is I want to get them to church. I want to get them to City Grace. I want to build the ministry. But if you can just let go of ever, need, ever needing to need anything, ever wanting anything, and it's simply you've received grace, you want to pass it along, the opportunities will up constantly. Okay. Now the question, who are we sent to? And that is what this um, chapter is. That's what this section is about. Who are we sent to? So who was Jesus sent to? Okay. Well, I think we, we all generally agree that Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for the poor and Jesus came for the oppressed. Right. So that's nothing new. But what about oppressors? So, yeah, we love the idea that God loves the oppressed. That's not a a hard sell. Of course God loves the oppressed. God loves the poor. God loves the, the immigrant. God loves the refugee. But what about the oppressors? What about people who oppress other people? What about your tyrannical parent or your tyrannical boss? What about racists? What about people who subjugate and hurt other people? Does God love them? Does God want... To reach out to them so this passage presents us with a very very difficult pill to swallow and that is the fact that jesus of all the people as he's walking along of all the people that he could reach out to he picks a tax collector to be his disciple this is hard because the tax collectors of those days were known to be oppressors they are stooges on behalf of the roman empire They take advantage of God's people. They take advantage of the Jews. So the tax collectors of this time were a despised category of people. They were hated. They were not welcome. They were decent people. Decent Jews did not associate with tax collectors. Did not talk to tax collectors. Did not want to have anything to do with this type of a person. These are folks that we uh, that we don't want to be involved with because they are the reason that we have all the problems in society that we have. Do you understand? So this is a very very difficult thing for us to understand. How is it fair? that of all the people that need God so much and of all the people that Jesus loves and is cared for, that he would go for this guy? That's the question. And the interesting thing is that uh, if if we... um, Sorry. If we go and look at Scripture, the interesting thing is that actually... The Bible presents us with a long history, a long laundry list of God picking and choosing and calling the very most unlikely people that we'd ever expect for him to go for. The people that from our kind of viewpoint, our perspective, uh, God would never go for them. He goes for Moses. Moses is a murderer. He goes for Jacob. uh, David, sorry, David is an adulterer. He goes for Jacob. Jacob was a cheat pretty much from the time that he was born. Abraham was a liar and a coward and threw his wife under the bus on multiple situations. And Paul was known as being a persecutor of the church, and he also was a murderer. So you see that we're in a little bit of a difficult situation here, and it's not exactly that God lets these people off the hook for their actions, but rather, what's and this is this is the insight of the passage, and it reveals to us the incredible mercy and grace of God that the people that we think are the least deserving and the least likely to ever want to have anything to do with God are precisely the people that God wants to go after. Now, we should find this extremely inflammatory and offensive because of the way the human heart works. And how does the human heart works? The human heart works like this. What we love to do as human beings is to create categories of worthiness. We love to put people in boxes. And so this is a universal kind of common human phenomenon that what we do is we create nice little categories of in and out good and bad, wicked and righteous. And then we use those things to justify ourselves and we put people into these boxes in these categories. And we, like the Pharisees, can then applaud ourselves and pat ourselves on the back for being in the quote-unquote good category and completely turn our back on the people that are in the other category. Now, what's the problem with these categories? You probably see where I'm going with this. The problem with these categories is two problems. That number one, these categories are completely arbitrary. They're completely subjective. We make them up. We make them up. And number two, that the categories that good religious people tend to come up with about in and out, that unfortunately, well actually fortunately, but these categories hold no weight to God. They don't matter to God. Okay. Let me give give you an example. When I was in first grade, I was a lot like I am now. I was, uh, I was boisterous, I was aggressive, I was loud. I talked a lot. And my teacher said, wow, this is a leader. <laughs> this kid's got leadership potential. So all throughout my childhood, I was, that, I was put in the box, leader, worthy. Other kids will listen to him. So we're, we'll, we'll trust him, we'll give him authority, uh, we'll give him special tasks and opportunities and stuff like that. Now, I have, I have, I'm the oldest of four, three boys and a girl. My sister was the, is the youngest, was very similar to me. And guess what happened to her in first grade? The teacher called my parents aside and said, I'm sorry, but your sister's a little bit bossy and she's a little bit too aggressive and she needs to, to take a step back. Same behavior traits, exact same, she's the same as me. And yet... Some people, the same people said, oh, Ben, he's a leader. Your sister, mm, no, she's bossy. You see? You see, these categories, they're, they're subjective. They, they, they're arbitrary. They're completely arbitrary. Listen, a guy, a guy snitches on his mob boss. The mafia says, oh, this guy's a rat, right? Category, boo, we don't like this guy. Society is like, this guy's an informant. He has helped us out. We're going to let him off the hook, and he's going to have to do very little time. You see, the same person, but one group says, this guy is great. Everybody else says, no, this, this guy is bad. So we look at the categories in the first century. Very clear very cut, black and white categories. You're a Pharisee. You're a good guy. You're a sinner. You're a tax collector. You're a bad guy. And the astonishing and I think offensive thing about the gospel we have to wrestle with is that in the eyes of God, these categories mean precisely nothing. That they don't carry any weight with God. They don't carry any weight with God. Because God doesn't see, he doesn't recognize these categories that, he, that, 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 that we do. What does he see? He sees a mass of humanity, black, white, crooks, quote-unquote good people, Pharisees and sinners, religious and spiritual, gay and straight. He sees the whole group, and what does he say? He recognizes that we, all of us, no matter what category we want to put ourselves in, that we are all deeply flawed, sinful individuals who are in desperate need of the redemptive power of God. There's only one category in God's eyes, and we are all in that same category. We're all in the same category, despite our human tendencies to want to place people. So we are all on the same footing. It's, uh, it's said that at the foot of the cross it's a level playing field. God sees us all the same, but there are two categories for God, and these are the only categories at the end of the day that matter, and they are categories that are completely not based on merit. They're completely irrespective of what you think you may be doing that makes you a good person. God doesn't look at those things. There's called and there's not called. There's called and there's not called. But aside from that, we're all on the same footing. We're all on the same footing. Romans chapter 3, 22 through 24. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. That was another Big time category in the first century. Jew and Gentile. Jew, good, Gentile, bad. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. All right. So we are offended by this because grace demolishes our human categories. And the natural human tendency is for us to create these kind of categories, because if we do that, then it's a way for us to be able to justify ourselves. So we create a category, good-looking, not good-looking, fit, overweight, you know, wealthy, productive, working hard, vagrant. And we create these labels and create these boxes because it makes us feel good. Because then we can kind of justify ourselves and we can have something that we hold on to and claim. We stick by those things and say, that's what makes me worthy. That's what makes me okay in the eyes of God. But the gospel says that all these things that we are looking to, whether it's our race, whether it's our success in society, whether it's our our looks or our appearance or whether what people think about us, that, that the Bible says these Things are, pres- they, they, they mean precisely squat in the eyes of God. That, that those things don't actually, in fact, endear us to God, but that we are all in this place of desperately being in need of God. And so that's why, you know, Jesus coming on the scene offering this grace and this love from a human perspective. It makes no sense that he would call a tax collector because tax collectors are bad guys because tax collectors are people that we do not want to hang out with. They're different, they're weird, they're self-centered, they take advantage of people. And yet from God's perspective, that is exactly the kind of person that he would want to reach out to because those are the people that he came to heal. It makes perfect sense in the eyes of Jesus. So John Calvin, um, many of you know him, a a famous theologian, had a quote, and he said that to be a human and to have a human heart is to be an expert idol maker. He said that the human heart, from the moment we are born, we are a factory of idols. And I would suggest to you today that there is a correlation between our categories, our tendency to box people as worthy, not worthy, in, out, and our idols. Because whatever it is that we make our idol is going to become the basis by then we can then judge people and say, you obey this idol. That's good. You're part of my club. You're worthy. You don't. And so you're you're on the out. You are not worthy. And so we do this with work, right? If you make your career an idol, uh, you are very proud of yourself when you're successful and making lots of money and getting promotions and you look down and despise those people who struggle with employment. We do this with success. When we make an idol out of success, we have the in crowd and the out crowd. We want to be with the in crowd. We don't want to be with the out crowd. We do this in terms of our appearance as well. And so with the gospel, and this is why the gospel is so so offensive, is because it takes these idols and it says, you know what? You're worshiping the wrong things. Because in fact, the worship of the one true God who loves us by his grace, who accepts all without qualification because of what Christ has done, does not pay attention to those things. The worship of the one true God leads to accepting people, not judging them. And so the thing that we have to realize that, that all of us in this room, I think, have to c- come to terms with the reality that no matter how we've been raised, no matter the color of our skin, no matter our accomplishments, no matter our effort to try to be good people, to try to obey God, that we are all in the same boat. And that boat is being desperately, desperately in need of the forgiveness of God and the restorative power of God in our life. We were all in the same boat. And so that's why Paul, uh, you can check it out in Philippians 3, verse 7, he goes to an entire laundry list of uh, all the things that he previously was proud of. He was born in the tribe of Benjamin. He was zealous. He was a Pharisee. Paul says that I obeyed the law as perfectly as you can possibly imagine. And yet in chapter uh, 3, verse 7 of Philippians, he says, but whatever was to my prophet I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says explicitly, you should look it up later. He said all those things, you know, my performance, my heritage, my ethnicity, my background. I used to feel really good about myself because of those things. But he says now they're garbage. It's like garbage. It's completely, not that they're bad things. They're not bad things. They're good things. But he says, I consider them garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Because God lost all things in order to love us. You see what I'm saying? It's not that those things are bad. It's not that your your, your ethnic heritage is a bad thing or that working hard is a bad thing or that trying to follow the law and be a loving and kind person. These are not bad things. It's just that they don't get you closer to God that God only loves you and forgives you and accepts you kind of despite yourself because we all are in that same boat of being completely uh, incapable of of really doing anything to earn or merit the favor and the blessing of God. So all this is to say that I, I think there's two primary kind of takeaways here. And the first takeaway is that if you personally, right, sitting here in this room today, have ever felt like you weren't good enough for God, if you've ever felt like you weren't worthy, or if you've ever felt like there was something wrong with you and that it excluded you from being able to know God and experience the power of the Spirit in your life, then on the one hand, you're right, but that's true of all of us. And the good news is that there is actually nothing that can separate you from this love of God. There's nothing. So you feel unworthy. You think, you know what, I'm a horrible person because I'm still struggling with this addiction that I've been battling with for years. I don't seem to have any victory over it. It's impossible that God would love me after so many times of having fallen and failed him. God says, no, that's ridiculous. I still love you. I still accept you because of what Christ has done. You think that you're the wrong color, you think you're the wrong ethnicity, you think, oh, but my education, you know, it doesn't qualify me, or I'm not, I'm not working, or you know what, you know, and I think something that many of us struggle with is um, intentional sin, like when you know something is sinful, but then you do it anyway, and then you feel extra guilty because you not only did something that was wrong, but you knew it was wrong, and you did it anyway. I have lots of examples of those, by the way. Um, that can bring a kind of shame and a kind of condemnation where we think, yeah, there's, I'm sure God's done with me. I'm sure I'm not going to go to heaven. I'm sure that there's no way his grace could, even, could cover that. But that is false. The whole point here is that we can't receive the call. We don't receive the call of God because we merit it in some way. But it is the call of God which qualifies us. We don't qualify for God. God qualifies us for himself, And so if there's anything that you've ever done that makes you feel like I'm not worthy, that I don't deserve it, then the good news is for you, it doesn't matter because God loves you anyway. That's the first thing. But the second major, major takeaway, how are we doing on time, is that the person in your life, the person that God has put in your life who you think is disqualified because they're not in one of your categories or they're in the wrong category. They don't talk the right way. They don't dress the right way. They don't look the right way. They don't act the right way. Whatever the case may be, they're a horrible person. They don't treat you well. The person in your life that you think is disqualified from receiving grace is, I believe, the very person that God wants to use you to reach. I think that's that's the point here. Because the tax collector from a Pharisee perspective is the last person. I I would never want to have to deal with a person like that, a Pharisee would say. And Jesus said, actually, those are the people that I came for. And so who are those people for you? Um, You know, for my wife, for Christy, if she were here, it is some of her bosses that she's had at NYU. She has had some horrible, horrible bosses. And because these people are in a position of authority it 's all the more intimidating the idea that, as somebody who like comes in and you, you don't have a lot of power, this person's over you, this person doesn 't treat you well, the idea that God loves that person, God really wants to reach that person, He wants to use me to do it, that 's been a hard, hard pill for her to swallow, and yet, in her willingness to engage that, and in her willingness to to go in confidently, not as a victim but knowing that by the power of the Spirit that that she has a power and an access and and an anointing, a blessing, that God can do anything through that. God can reach the most unlikely person through that. And through that, God God has sustained her, protected her many, many times, and given her at NYU Hospital of all places the ability to share her faith countless, countless times. So the oppressors... The oppressors, the people that don't treat us well, the the people that that we want to say, I don't want to get near them. I don't want to touch them. You know, they're not my in crowd. They are the people that we as a church are called to reach. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a boss. Jesus is not put off by human categories. They do not carry weight with him. And so by extension they shouldn't carry weight with us either. And the church should be known as a hospital. And who do you expect to show up at the hospital? The sick people. I think that um, there's, there's so much more in this passage. I love how Jesus calls Levi and then immediately shows up at his house. Uh, I heard a pastor just this week speak about how the American church... Wants to do evangelism, but it doesn't want to get its hands dirty. So we'll take a few risks here and there. We'll hand out a pamphlet. We'll share our faith once in a while. But we don't really want to get our hands dirty. Just like me with the woman at karate. I didn't really want to get into it with her. Um, And yet Jesus shows up at the man's house. You know what I mean? So I think that we could raise the standard. Jesus shows up. This is what the incarnation is about is about Jesus showing up, walking in our shoes, and being where we're being. If you tell me that you are working on sharing your faith with somebody, and yet you're not willing to get dirty and get involved in this person's life, then I would, I would, still, I would still say, you're doing great. Just hang in there. <laughs> but, but, I would, but I would say, let's take it one step further, please. Why don't you go to their home? Why don't you go to their home? Why don't you actually be in their space? See what that's like. This is not what Jesus does. He said, I, I wait at the door and I knock. Will you let me in? Why are we sharing the faith with people but we're not willing to get involved in their lives? You're not willing to, to walk, into their, uh, walk into their space, into their home. So I think it's one thing. You could also invite people into your space. Church is good at that. We love inviting people. That's what outreach is. Oh, come, come, come. Come visit us. Come join us. That's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't say come. He says, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to show up. That's what missional community is all about. It's about him bringing his grace into your space. He comes to us. And so people that you want to reach out to, that God puts it on your heart to reach out to, invite them over. But I'd say you haven't really done your job until they invite you over, and they invite you into their home. I had the craziest, I had the craziest experience just a couple weeks ago where my neighbor was complaining about some stuff, and... Uh, I'm like, hey, listen, man, why, why, don't I, why don't I pray with you? He's like, okay. And he, we were in the hallway of my building. It was a little awkward laying hands on him in the hallway. <laughs> so I, I'm like, hey, why don't, why don't we just step into your apartment a minute? So he kind of looked at me. He's like, okay, come on in. He, so he let me in. See, we bring the holiness of Christ with us wherever we go. We bring the light of Christ, the Spirit, into his home. It was an amazing thing. Um. Oh yeah, I was going to say more about that. Oh yeah, here's the other thing. So Jesus shows up at Levi's house and then what happens? All the, the sinners and tax collectors come and hang out. And here's, the, I'll close with this. This is the beautiful thing about the church. Jesus is holier and more righteous than any of us could possibly imagine. And you know what the world thinks about Christian religious righteous people? usually doesn't want to have anything to do with self-righteous religious people. And yet, Jesus, who is righteous and holy, attracts sinners, attracts tax collectors, attracts prostitutes. True holiness is extremely, extremely attractive. And so what I would suggest to you is that if we have a church that is practicing holiness, and yet our holiness is off-putting to the world, then it ain't holiness. Then it's something else. Because the holiness of God brings people, it attracts people. Because there's something so wonderful about a loving, gracious God who loves even those who don't deserve it and forgives those who don't deserve it. The world wants this. The world is drawn to this. And so may we as a church have that kind of holiness, a holiness that attracts. Not a holiness that is judgmental. Not a holiness that wants to divide up people into categories and say, you're in, you're out. I'm on the in crowd, don't bother me. Not that kind of holiness, but a holiness like Christ. A holiness that says, come, drink, be filled, have, take part in what I have, because it is God. There's enough to go around. I think the best way to understand Right? We're all on the same level playing field. We don't have to pretend like we have it all together. I don't have it all together. I struggle in various areas. This is a hospital. We're sick. Let's not pretend like we're not. Let's, uh, we are all, I heard one person say, we're beggars. But we, we found food. And so it's just one beggar sharing with another beggar where to go and get food. That's what the church is meant to be. And then the church will attract. So let's get some music up in the house. And um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I think there's really two things that that we need to pray about this morning. That As I was on my way over here, I walked all the way from 92nd Street. It was great. It was beautiful. You do not want to smell my stinky feet right now. I'm being vulnerable with you. My feet, after walking in these particular shoes, have a horrible, horrible smell. But we have to get in touch with our need for grace, right? Jesus said, I've come for the sick, not the healthy. The Pharisees think, oh, does that mean he didn't come for us? No, he did come for you because actually you're just as sick as everybody else. The people on the inside are just as in need of a Savior as the people on the outside. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is it creates conviction of sin. If we can access our own brokenness and our own sinfulness if we can realize that apart from God apart from his grace apart from our desire to put ourselves in good categories and put other people in bad categories we are just in as much in need of a savior as anybody else if you could get in touch with that you would be an amazing amazing evangelist because you wouldn't think that you were better than anybody else but we need God to break us down. We need God to reveal our need for him. And so, musical play, I just encourage you, um, ask the Spirit to convict you of your need, help you to realize that apart from the grace of God, there's nothing about you that merits his blessing, his forgiveness. He doesn't love you because of what you've accomplished. He doesn't love you because of your amazing performance. He doesn't love you because of what other people think about you. He loves you because he's called you and because you belong to him. That's it. That is it. just encourage you to keep praying. In the, the quiet of your heart, just cry out to God. Admit to him whatever he's putting on your heart, whatever he's convicting you of. Don't be afraid of it. We must die to ourselves before he can lift us up with Christ. Lord, convict us. Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Reveal to us our need, our desperate need. We are just as sick as anybody else. We are just as broken as anybody else. We are just as much in need of forgiveness and grace as any other person. God, we praise you that even though we don't deserve it and even though we are all broken and unworthy, that you call us, you call, you call the undeserving, you call Matthew the tax collector, you call the sinner, you call the tax collector, Lord, your heart goes out to the people that the world looks down on. So may we never, Lord, may we never see a person as being outside the realm of your power, outside the realm of your grace. May we never, ever think that your arm is not strong enough to reach even the most distant person. And I pray, Lord, we want to lift up to you all those people that you've put in our lives who maybe in the past, we've thought this person, they would never turn to faith in you. They would never admit that they had a sin problem. They would never wanna be come into your presence at all. Lord, would you put on our hearts now the desire to see them come to know you. So friends, wh- whoever it is that God is putting on your heart this morning, just lift up that the name of those people, a person. You don't have to say it out loud, you can if you want, but let's just lift up all the people that we tend to to look away from, the people that we tend to think, "Ah, God doesn't want to have anything to do with them because God loves them, because God calls them, because God can save them and can reach them.